This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart, and as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback, and I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Hey, Queeros, it's that time again for our best of episodes and our second best of 2021, Mae Martin, Bob the Drag Queen, and Noelle Stevenson. Each of these people in and of themselves were a best of 2021. But here's an episode with all three of them together. Please enjoy. I've been feeling wrong, but I'm still To me, the, the show in particular, Feel Good, is like, a, it's about addiction and love and addiction and about where those two things intersect and, and what's healthy and, and what's not. And like, that's something that I really am interested in and grapple with. And um, and nobody, I think that's what people are connecting to in it, too. I think everyone's been in relationships that are so bad for them, but you're desperate to make it work but it really becomes an addictive thing. And these cycles of like anxiety and relief and anxiety and relief. You know what I mean? May <laughs> totally do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it comes I from, totally I mean, do. Yeah. And are you like a, a romantic person or particularly in my twenties, I was like highly romantic. And I think it made me a prime, you know, I was all in for, and really, yeah, it could get quite, obsessive but usually because someone was very hot and cold yes <laughs> yeah <laughs> well yeah i mean i think for me also um i have a lot of shame about the person that i am from like being a teeny kid yeah. and a lot of ways that i have felt protective in the world protected in the world is um when people approved of my partners that's like an experience i had from even very young like when i started dating um, I started dating, like my first boyfriend was like very cool, unusual guy. He was like super masculine basketball player who also knew all of the instinct dances and at like, oh my God. you know, dances at school, people would like make a big circle and then he'd like do the dance in the middle of the thing. And he wore like a rainbow belt and played bass in a ska band and was like, yeah just a very unusual person. And then my second boyfriend was super muscle football guy. And I think like a lot of my high school experience was spent sort of, even though I was a very visible person at school, like I was very involved in a lot of stuff and like a Mm. big jock and like, like really working for like the student government, you know, it was like a, it was like a very like, big personality but I think something that helped me feel like I could be that because gender stuff was already dinging like 12,000 I was like wearing like a choker and like had wildly dyed blonde hair and I was also a swimmer so it was like gray half the time oh my god you know (laughs) then I had like I was wearing like white platform steel-toed Doc Martens and I was like at a conservative Catholic high school Nobody really? else looked like me. Yeah. And okay. I think so you stuck out and then yeah. I stuck out and then was like also had a kind of a big personality. And I think 
in some ways, I was like looking for somebody to make this all okay. Like, mm. if this person accepts me, then maybe this is all fine. And I don't think I ever stopped doing that until, well, until very recently. Yeah. That's something I've been working on. I'm sure that there's an aspect of that to, I mean, but I don't like to pathologize it because I've had some great relationships, but I, I happen to have dated mostly previously straight women and I'm, they're all great, but there must be an element of wanting that validation and wanting to, yeah, be ex- part of mainstream culture in a way that I, I'm sure that that plays into it. I don't know. I gotta yeah. go to therapy. Hmm. <laughs> what did you say? What you said? I gotta go to therapy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, think, we all do. Absolutely. Yeah, we all do. Yeah, yeah. Do you think our parents' generation will ever get into it? Into therapy? Oh my god! I. <laughs> How good would it be? <laughs> I don't know. I feel like it's so. It's such a. Um, I think whenever I've talked to my folks about it, it's been like it's the relationship that you have with like a doctor when you're a, when you're a relatively healthy person like it's like a mm, yeah annual checkup sort of a relationship um and I can't really see that shifting yeah same I just wonder if there's like a happy medium between their generation and our generation because like the level of sort of self examination that we're doing which I think is ultimately very positive but like having been in lockdown for the whole year and writing about myself and thinking about myself and when your job is to think about yourself it's like it's a lot and it's kind of it can get kind of uh, like navel gazy in a way but but great as well but I just wonder if there's a, a place between my you know my parents are like why on earth would we ever speak to anyone <laughs> including you about anything going on in our minds um, somewhere in between there might be, might be nice. Yeah, I, I hear you. I, for, for me, I've, I have spent a little bit of time in the pandemic. Like actually, I mean, I, so I, that so resonates with me. I've spent some time in the pandemic amidst all of the deep, deep work that I'm doing on myself, like doing things that had nothing to do with autobiographical, um, experiences, like, joining yeah. some book clubs and yeah. reading a bunch of stuff that other people have to say, or I took a bunch of classes. I took a bunch of like theology classes because I just felt like I wanted to sit and have a conversation about somebody else's work and thoughts. Yeah. Um, and that was very helpful. I, I um, love that. Or nature too. I've, I've always resisted. I've just like resisted nature for so long. I've never felt like I have a relationship with nature at all. And then recently I've been forcing myself to go lie in parks, go for walks, go to forests, drive out of London a bit. Cause London's like Dickensian to me. I'm looking at my window right now and it's like, it looks like Charles Dickens is London. Like it's, it is so gray and, uh, urban and like, yeah, I'm, I'm from Canada. So I do feel like I'm missing lakes and trees. You've got hikes there and everything, right? we do yeah and I moved I guess I mean some of the same I've been like a I've been choosing to live in 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 urban centers for a lot of years now but I moved to I live in like the foothills of 
some print, the Angeles National Forest. I live in the foothills wow. of a national forest. Um, That's amazing. There's a mountain at the end of my street. Wow. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. That, that um, must get you out of yourself a bit. And, and walking a dog. Yeah. I got to say, like, I think, yeah, I think I thought, um, well, sometimes I can get out of myself being in a city and just, like, observing that other people exist and have yeah. their own lives. Um, but it has been cool to... I think one thing I think is I just feel very lucky. I can't believe mm. I like it to live here or that I think sometimes I get so hard on myself that I'm not able to process that I am a blessed human. I'm like, mm. I can just get really mad at myself or down on myself. And that's that's actually self-absorption also, you know, to be yeah. like super into yourself. The other side of that same coin is to be like super pissed yeah. at yourself, you know. <laughs> You know what a good example of that is? Is like uh, in season one filming, not to make it about me, but like filming Let's do season, it. <laughs> season uh, one of Feel Good. And I'd never acted before really. And I was so, so fucking nervous that I kept saying how nervous I was. It was like, it was like a trigger. Like all day I was just telling the makeup people. I was telling the director. I was telling my co-star like how I was shitting myself about filming the sex scenes and filming all the scenes. And do it. And then at a certain point, I was like, this is kind of, it does make it all about me the more I say that. And there is, I have a co-star in the scene. I haven't asked how she's feeling at all. I'm just in this self-deprecating sort of comedic way being like, oh, I'm a piece of shit. I'm so nervous. I don't know. And it's like, okay, but make some room for other people's feelings too. Because just because it's, you're making fun of yourself, it doesn't mean it's not self-absorbed. Yeah. Yeah. The piece of shit at the center of the universe is. Uh... Yeah. That's great. <laughs> Where's that? I love that. Yeah. It's, I could do a cartoon of that. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of dress like a witchy vegan outside of drag, <laughs> um, which is does not sound like a fierce, you know, drag queen it kind of sounds like i would be you know on on tiktok teaching, teaching everyone about veganism but um that being said um i mean i i now realize because i'm in the community i, I realize how much drag queens just uh look we, i mean we come in every shape size i mean i always say drag queens are a lot like human beings <laughs> there's, there's a lot of uh options sure know? how about your comedy chops um I'd love to talk about that for a second because I'm so, I'm so used to, you know, I like where I'm from is the stand up world and also uh -huh. not like the internet stand up world because I started when you really had to be in rooms live. And Back in my day, in you had to minute, you go have to, down, you, have to you go did to a mic. 18 hours of comedy yeah, and you were paid a buffalo nickel. It's absolutely true. <laughs> well, also, you have to, you know, you have to, um, I do sign up for a freaking mic and you have to and you wait. had to bark on the street and That's, jail tickets. By the way, this is all of this is true. You the, do the bringers. Thing we would do saying. bringers yeah. back in my day. And yeah, now the kids, if you have TikTok yeah. followers, you get the headline. That's right. <laughs> well, I am curious about that. Did you did you come up doing comedy in rooms? Or like yeah. now when you're performing, yeah. Talk to me about yeah. that for a second. So my first time doing stand up was at the New York Comedy Club, um, and I used, I used to do bringers and I used to bark as well, and I um, then I got passed over at the um, 
at Caroline's Comedy Club. I used to do Colin Kane's show, Wrong Side of the Brain. This is probably back in 2009, 2010. Um, and yeah, Colin so, Kane, sure, absolutely. Yeah, so, I was, so I was doing Colin Kane's Wrong Side of the Brain for a while, and I had some really weird interactions. I was because I was doing it in drag, so it was really odd interactions. Like I, always in drag, like all, when you started doing. Got it. When I first started, it was I do it sometimes out of drag now, but I used to always do it in drag. And I remember having this really weird interaction with um, Judah Friedlander, where we were my, at the time. My drag name was Kitten with a Whip. It was, it was a different name than it is now. And I remember seeing Judah Friedlander, and um, at we were both waiting. You, you, have you ever done Carolines? Yes. Yeah. So you're waiting off just to that side area. It's like a strip of tables to the like stage left, mm-hmm. house right, and like all the comedians are sitting there. And or 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 if it's not packed, they're in the back row. And I think that um that his show didn't fill the back back row, so they were back there too. And then Judah Friedlander walked up to me and was like, "Oh, what's, what's going on?" And I was like, "Hey." He's like, "What's your name?" And I was like, "My name's Kitten." He's like, "No, nah, man, come on. What's your real name?" And I said, well, "What's your real name?" <laughs> and then he just walked away from me, and that was our entire interaction. Um. But yes, yeah, so I used to do the comedy club. I used to do Gotham. I used to do comics when it used to be on the, in the meatpacking district, which um, later got run out of business for some shady tax dealings, I believe. Yeah, um, that was a fun room, though. I mean, weirdly, yeah. but yeah. I loved it. I loved it. It, it, yeah. it was really giving Caroline's a run for his money for a second until it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, you know, the comedy club just didn't pay a lot. Like, and I was kind of sick oh, of no, getting yeah, it dressed. Doesn't. Yeah, at all. <laughs> at the no, fuck no, all. <laughs> And I really kind of got sick of getting dressed in full drag and getting 30 bucks or drink tickets. Um, it just kind of started, or also getting dressed in full drag to go on stage for like two minutes. And I got sick of being asked questions like, what's your real name and all that stuff. So after like maybe a year of doing that, I, I started doing the um, the gay bars. And I just started, um, you know, going to the bars and doing drag numbers. And then I eventually got my own shows where I could just do like an hour of stand up. Every time I hit the stage, and then I ended up getting like six shows a week, and then by the by the time it was all said and done, I was doing like eight hours a week. That's amazing because I ask that question because sometimes I feel like folks who, you know, have come in through like mm-hmm. the drag world, and then now you have to headline a full show that's like at a theater. It, it felt it feels to me so like a huge learning curve. So it makes sense that that you're so successful because you do have that experience of like working your way up because otherwise it just feels like I can't imagine putting together an hour when you haven't done that before in a low stakes environment. Mm -hmm. And suddenly people are like paying a high ticket price and have big expectations. And, um, well, it's interesting too, because, um, a lot of the drag, uh, performers in New York city are used to putting together an hour long show. It's filled with numbers and songs and stuff that you can't do in a comedy special, unless you have the money to pay for the latest Lady Gaga song, um, which typically speaking, that's not the case. So I, I, but luckily I was able to go up through the cabaret ranks, which is what, what, which is what the New York city nightlife scene really is. It really is cabaret. And then also coming up through the uh, the stand-up comedy ranks as well. And sometimes I go and I do a comedy show. Because I don't do the comedy clubs very often, the comedians are kind of like, especially the straight guys, who honestly, I'm so sick of straight guys. <laughs> anyway, um, they'll be like, oh, wow, you're actually funny. And I was like, oh, I mean, oh, oh, th- thank you for that backhanded compliment. Um, but because they've never heard of me, and they'll be like, so what rooms do you do? And then I'll be like, well, I have a show at the Gramercy this week, and then I'm Ooh. doing... Um, and then, and then I'm doing, um, you know, the Sony Hall. And they're like, wait, you're right. doing Sony Hall? And I'm like, yeah. And they'll be like, I've never heard of you. And I'm like, well, bitch, I've never heard of you either. <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, I, I mean, uh, I do know what you mean. And I also, I really appreciate that story that you told earlier about 
you know, acceptance in the stand-up community. I mean, that's what I read into that story you were talking about, about, you know, Judah Friedlander <laughs> asking you your name. Well, it was I know weird. That- it was very interesting. Like, he was like, give me the real you. And I was like, that's not something we incur in the drag world. In the drag world, what you tell someone your name is, they just take that as your name. If you say my name is Bob, if a drag queen says her name is Bob, they go, okay, Bob. If you say your name is Cupcake Princess, then the person just goes, oh, how you doing, Cupcake Princess? It's so nice yeah, to meet you. Absolutely. And I also I also think that, you know, my experience as a, as a queer person that has operated both like in more queer contexts and then also in like this larger straight comedy scene is that we have to adapt to go hang in their world. But yeah. I think very, and that's when I hear you speaking about like people not knowing that you're playing big rooms and big theaters. It's, it's very, obviously nobody has to learn our shit. So it's like, there is, it's a, I remember a couple of years ago, I was working out some material about, about sexual assault and this, uh, very, yeah, light stuff. This very, um, like this macho dude who's known for his main thing is he doesn't wear a shirt when he performs. Oh, asked wait, me, the, the one, the one who's always on billboards in L.A. Yeah, Bert Crusher asked yeah, me, I, yeah. he asked me if I wanted to come do my jokes for his audience. Um, because if I could do my material for his audience, then like it would definitely be good. And I actually think that's kind of a sweet offer in a weird way. But it was funny thinking like. <laughs> Dude, you come try try to play for yeah, my audience. To, like, yeah. you why don't you, you shirtless wonder, come try to make like because language, like your language, you better be specific. You better not say the wrong thing. You better be inclusive. You better not make fun of anybody. Like, listen, you piss off one non-binary vegan. That's what I'm uh, saying. You piss off one non-binary non-binary vegan uh, witchy yes. lesbian, and you are yes. it's a wrap. It's, it's a wrap. <laughs> exactly. Yes. I mean, I don't know Bert Crusher, and I can't speak on uh, his character, but whenever I see him, it just kind of looks like the personification of if MAGA became a person. <laughs> I I do still have it in my heart where he... This is... Some, I'll just... I'm just going to pitch this to you the television executive on this, we should, he, Bert and I will switch audiences and we'll perform mm-hmm. for each other's audiences. We'll tape that. That's perfect. There's the oh, show. Oh yeah. It's yeah, a special. It, yeah. And, and it's really interesting because like, like these, like the, the straight guys who are quite frankly, the top of the, um, comedy food chain. They're like, if you can perform for my audience, then you'll be good. And yeah. it's like, girl, your audience is the lowest common denominator. It is so. I like. I I don't think that that's quite. If you can perform in front of a room full of really mean faggots who don't who all think they're funnier than you, and then still be funny, <laughs> then I would say you're nailing it. Yeah. Also, you're what you're talking about. Just when you were describing we're transitioning into doing gay bars, I have to say that I I had fear goosebumps because that is also a room that um they're not like seated at tables being told to keep it down by the management (laughs) and then like on dates that they're nervous about like that is a room that's like i whenever i've played a room like that that's a room that's like screaming back at me chatting amongst themselves trying to hook up really the queen is really having to like like you're the bouncer, your security. It is it is wild, and I, I mean I don't know how much can compare to the exhilaration of having a room full of 
like screaming queers, like eating out of the palm of your hand. But it really is. It's, it is a, um, it's amazing. I'll put it that way. It, it really, truly is amazing. I mean, I, I just found this fucking video of like me back in the day performing at Barracuda while we were talking. But do you know Barracuda? No. So this is the bar that I used to work at. This is me like on stage in this room full of like oh. raucous queers. My um, God. Back in 2015. And then like, I don't know, you, you just get them going and it's like, I don't know, it, it really is. It's just so exhilarating. Like it looks by all intents and purposes like a comedy club, but look how everyone's like snapping and pointing and talking Oh no, back I and- know. Yes. Yes. Yeah, it's... And also, this is an audience that like, if you lose this audience, best of luck. Like they're oh, never yeah. coming back. And, you know, and, so and, it's... And, and the, like comedians think they have to, they they have a hard time competing with like when the when the when the uh, bill gets dropped. Imagine <laughs> competing with a really handsome uh, go go boy offering to sell you cocaine at a discount <laughs> price. <laughs> I can't compete with a sexy go go boy in a jock strap oh with his huge dick flopping out selling you cocaine at rock bottom that prices. Is, but I have so... to get your attention. <laughs> I, this also it feels like what what time I was. Perf- I was performing in Provincetown. And oh my God. I don't know who did this booking. Somebody made a mistake. And <laughs> I was performing at a theater, like a theater where people get yeah. to sit in seats yeah. during Twink Week. Oh. So everybody <laughs> else that was like, like literally, I saw there were, there were, there was a, a circle of people. And in the center of this circle, somebody was getting a blowjob like out on the street in front of the venue. That's and I just, I mean, the whole time I was, I was there, I was just, cause you do, you're supposed to go out and like, for some reason in Provincetown, you're supposed to go out and, and, I just and introduce people. Cameron, yeah. everyone, I want to be clear about something. If there is a circle of people around and one person is immediately getting a blowjob, I need to be clear to you all. Okay. Please. If it is twink wink. What is happening is they are all taking turns sucking that guy's dick. That I need to be clear that everyone knows. Got it. It's not, it's not just like people spectating and watching. They were waiting their turn. To I actually suck, didn't know that. To suck this guy's dick. And Thank that, you for I, telling me. I promise you just happened to them right, right after they, they <laughs> You caught I just, them right before the shift changed. Yeah. And then Carl was like, tagging out, Terry. <laughs> I, I got it from here. And then just blah, 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 blah. I have never felt less like, please don't come to my show. Like, I don't, I look, I believe in myself as a comic, but this isn't for you. Like, this is not, like, go enjoy yourselves. I also this don't understand, is not- honestly, I, I'm surprised you did not get snatched up during Twink Week. Like, because you would test very well in P-Town during Twink Week. I think that is a huge compliment. I'm just <laughs> put my hands right under my chin. I feel so And for those who don't know, uh, P-Town is, is pretty tough because you have to go out on the street and sell your own tickets. Yes. What a nightmare. So, yes, yeah. me, Twink Week, a total nightmare. <laughs> I remember all these body insecurities I had coming in to art school and, 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 you know, coming in as an artist. And there were all these things that just like, I was really ashamed of my body. There's just like all these things, like my arms, they're fat. I have armpit fat. My stomach's really round. Like, and again, like all of these insecurities just from being a, you know, a girl in the United States in the 2000s and in the world. And 
there, as soon as I started seeing more naked people, for one, uh, in my life drawing classes, people of all shapes, all sizes, and really realizing just how different everyone's bodies are, that started my journey towards like, like I, I, I mentioned armpit fat. This was a huge thing because also like strapless dresses. I grew up in the South. We all wore these like strapless dresses for every, like for church and for every sort of, um, ceremony and everyone had an issue with the, just the little fold of fat between your chest and your arms. And I had a pretty big chest. So I was so insecure about that part of my body. I always wore a little shrug because again, it was the 2000s. Um, and then I started seeing naked people in school and I'm just like, I realized that's one of my favorite parts of the body to draw. I would be drawing these, these bodies and I'm just like, oh, hell yes. I get to draw this little fold of fat. I get to draw this roll. I get to draw this like dimple. That was my favorite part. Like sometimes we would have very like, you know, like typically beautiful women who are hourglass and, and you know, didn't have as many folds and rolls. And that was less interesting for me. That was less fun because I realized just how like everybody was this infinitely complex collection of it just, it was never, ever the same. It was never the same experience. And, and it's so different. And the way that you feel when you're just like 14 and walking through the mall and you see a Victoria's secret ad and you're like, am I supposed to look like that? I don't look anything like that. Maybe I am a monster. And then once you start realizing that, like, if I were in that Victoria's Secret ad somehow and someone else looked at me, they would also be super different from me. They would never think like, oh, I have to look like you. Uh, and so why would we think that way about Victoria's Secret models? And so that was just like a realization I came to through seeing more naked bodies and being exposed to more of a diversity of bodies. Um, and that part of that was getting better as an artist. Um and so I think I felt so really... sad for myself. I just have to jump in and say I feel so sad for myself that I did not see naked bodies at that age. Yeah. To, in, in the number that it sounds like you did. So yeah. please continue. But I just want to say to all our listeners that missed out on this, what a devastating thing. It's so sorry incredible. to all of us. It really is. I think if you're an artist especially, but I think that like everyone, if there's just a way to just be like exposed to naked bodies in a very like neutral way. Like, it's kind of amazing. I remember one of the first models we had, she was gorgeous. Like, like, like hourglass, like, fully just, like, she looked like, you know, a superhero. And she had really thick, dark hair, just, like, all over her body. She didn't shave um, any part of her. And, like, she was, like, stunning. But I had never seen, like, I was so obsessed with shaving every single part of my body and making sure it was, like, appropriately hairless. And suddenly I'm seeing this woman who's, like, so proud of this thick, dark body hair. And I'm like, wow, body hair is stunning. Incredible. I just hadn't seen it. You only see the like glistening silky legs on TV. And so you're like, oh my God, I missed one hair while I was shaving. Everyone's going to laugh at me. And it's just like, we just do not see enough different types of people. And so it's just something where it's just like, I, I think it's, um, it is something that like, I think the fat experience of being, you know, uh, unable to go into a store and buy something in your size of being like having trouble fitting into standard size seats on airplanes. Like there is this whole other world of experience that fat people go through all the time. And so many hard conversations we have to have with ourselves as just a, as a world, as a society. But 
at the same time, all of like, everybody has their own relationship to their body as well. Like just because thin people are thin doesn't mean we don't have body issues. And so it is just like, there's so many conversations to be had about it. And the more different types of bodies that we see, the closer we, like the farther we go just as a group of people. And so I think, you know, all, all of that long story short is just to say that like, I think Shira is a way of doing that, of showing, of attempting to show the variety of bodies that you can move through the world with and to show that that's just like, it's all good. It's all normal. And I hesitate to say it's all beautiful because it sounds, I don't know, we've all been told that. And I think we've probably all not believed it, Um, but they are beautiful. And, you know, I believe that. And that's, and that's what I want to see. Yeah. I I mean, I certainly, I certainly hear you. I think it's interesting, you know, I'm, I'm, I feel like it's, it's wild, for instance, that I think about all the time, how we still don't have uh, like sort of a hot masculine representation on television that isn't also incredibly thin or in movies um, because it's like too many things. Like, it's like, okay, you can be like masculine. Or you could be like curvy, but you couldn't be like curvy plus masculine. That's like insane, you know, like, and I, and that's just a, um, I'm really excited for if we are ever able to like really get to the other side of that, that would be something that would be amazing. Yeah. I've been feeling that a lot too lately. Um, I just saw like an article the other day that was like, there are too many masculine women in movies like well, like we should have women who are proud to be feminine and i and i give the article was going <laughs> who wrote this article i know i was like where are you finding these butch people on tv and please tell me <laughs> where to find them because i haven't seen any but it's just like i know what they were going for which is like we were used to the tomboy it's like she's like just as good as the boys and she can wear you know like she doesn't care about makeup or clothes but of course she still is you know she, she looks absolutely perfect in every way. She's just not allowed to be like, I work at my appearance. I curl my hair. I pick out makeup to buy. So I do get that. Like, I would like to see more, you know, awesome female characters who are also like, you know, like who show what really goes into being like a feminine person. Mm-hmm. Um, however, at the same time, there is nowhere close to like, I can think of maybe a couple of characters in mainstream TV and movies who I think are truly butch. And it's something that I've been really hungry for lately, which is just like the the fullness of experience of being butch, which is not, you know, being a, a like a woman with like tousled hair and a bulletproof vest who like, you know, <laughs> has natural kind of like smoky eyes, but would never actually do smoky eyes. It's just part of her look. Like I can't believe you're like talking down on my bulletproof vest though. You know what I mean? I like I've got <laughs> six or seven. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just no, I, I, I hear you. Really Absolutely. Love to see, and I would love to see like, you know, domestic butches, just like maybe the, you know, maybe that you don't have to have the bulletproof vest. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, um, and and it's there's, you know, I I know so many. Just like even when when I was thinking the other day about like um you know having created lesbian characters and kind of seeing the trends in lesbian characters in media where it's like and this is absolutely I'm guilty of it as well because I'm just like why is it always a blonde and a brunette and they always have long hair and it's just like they're both 
you know, fairly feminine. And it's just like, what, like, what is this? Why are we falling into these patterns? Like, even when, you know, one of the two lesbians in She-Ra, she cuts her hair in the last season or gets a haircut in the last season. And there was like a mini backlash to that when like a picture of it leaked and the, like, there was a backlash even from, you know, other like, like sapphic fans of She-Ra. It was like, this is ugly. Wait, who are you talking about? Katra. So. I thought that's true. <laughs> this is also very funny because she's a cat. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, just... yeah she's a cat. Um, so there's that. But <laughs> and she, like, so she gets like a cute little pixie cut. And it was like, I didn't, again, I didn't think we were doing anything by this. I know so many people with short hair. I had short hair for most of my life. And to have people be like, this is ugly. She looks better with long hair. And I'm just like, oh my God. And I just, my heart hurt a little bit at that because it's like, like me, it's a cartoon. So most of its fans are younger people. So it's like, I want you to be able to see in the media that you love people who represent the full experience of being queer. And I don't know that you're necessarily seeing that. So I think it's both a challenge to myself as someone who creates media and to other media creators to be like, let's like really push ourselves to like see like what types of characters we tend to create and, and what types of people we think can be in relationships and what kind of people we see as desirable. All of these things. It's just like, even those of us who like, like obviously it's really personal to me. I really want to see more butch people on TV because it's like a personal experience of mine. And I, I still, you know, have a, that limit of imagination um so it's just like yeah just like if anyone knows where all the butch representation is on tv please tell me i want to watch it (laughs) i want to make it (laughs) do my best